Welcome to the Don't Die Podcast, sponsored by Aloe Treatment Centers. They're out in Malibu. They're in Silver Lake. It's a treatment center I started with some friends. We want you to get the right treatment, the right program for you, and stop dying. And stop dying. Stop dying, Michael. Bob, it's good to see you. Well, it's very emotional hearing that intro about Aloe. Everybody kind of knows what's happening in Malibu. Um, so, uh, th- jump right into it. Wow, I, I was very emotional hearing that. So, yeah. Aloe Treatment Center um, is, like I said, this thing that Evan and Jared and I started about seven years ago, I think now. And um, and it's a treatment center in Malibu. We have uh, also a facility in Silver Lake, and we're hoping to get one in Long Beach, but now a lot has happened. Everybody so, knows the fires. Yeah, the fires swept. burned down four of our houses, but everybody's <sighs> safe and everybody's cool and everybody's relocated to Silver Lake and to West L.A. We just got West L.A. facility this week. And I love so, how you guys just stay centered on the hu- you know on the human aspect of everybody's of, safe. You know, yeah, everybody's cool, and and the clients were the greatest. They were the ones that made it all possible. I mean, the staff was great, and you know, but but the clients had to be on board and be cool. And I I can't imagine what it's like to be in a rehab and you're and there's a fire up on the hill and you've got to evacuate and and leave. And I mean, my junkie mind would go, I'm going to go get high. This is a sign from God. Yeah, and your staff <laughs> is really great. You know? So so only one person went home, and I understand that, but most everybody stayed, and we ran around Southern California for two days, and then we landed at the old Promises building in West L.A., and so that's where everybody is. So we're safe. Aloe continues. Aloe fights on it. turns out even... You know, at first it was just catastrophe. I thought everything burned down. Only four of the houses out of seven burned down. The outpatient building and offices didn't burn down. So we'll be back there and, you know, you know, we're running into Christmas now. So we'll see. I would expect everything back up and running by first of the year. And, you know, don't, I, I get this thing. Like I, I, I've had a lot of people reach out to me and say, oh, I'm so sorry to hear about what happened. Like, no, I was... Like I was on the phone with everybody out there for two days and friends of mine who's, you know, lost their homes and stuff. Like you can rebuild a rehab. You can get another house. Um, people lost their homes and it was really awful. And and then, you know, you know how rehab people are. They make uh, themselves out to be the stars of the whole thing. And I got kind of disgusted by some of my competitors and peers and their bloggings and self-promotion but aloe's fine everybody's safe everything's cool and you know and so where is the new tuesday you're doing your tuesday night speak for those of you that are local yeah if you live around here on tuesday nights i've been doing this thing for years and years and years it's moved from different facilities it was at uh wednesday nights it was lost and seen us and dr drew did it for years for decades and it's just a lecture about addiction and what addiction is and what addiction treatment is it's like an explanation of 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 what's going on and over the years this has become more and more important because treatment has gotten so wacky and nobody even knows what it's supposed to be doing and nobody knows what alcoholism is and it's all confusing and so i just do the dr drew lecture in my kind of way and and share what i know about about what the ideas about addiction are and what the treatment for it is. And you're doing that at the Silver... I'm doing a Silver Lake this Silver Tuesday. Lake. And people can find it by going to Aloe at the, on Facebook? Yeah, for the Aloe Facebook there's page. Events. Yeah, there's events. They always blast it on social media, but this week, I don't know when this podcast will air. Tomorrow, tomorrow it'll be in Silver Lake. Next Tuesday, probably, it'll be in West L.A. at our, the new Aloe facility in West L.A. So look for those events. Yeah, and it's on and it goes back and forth. It'll go back and forth between Silver Lake and Malibu, probably through here through the holidays, and then back to Malibu after the new year, probably. And is it? it's not every Tuesday now. It's, it's every, every t- other Tuesday? It's every Tuesday, but it changes facilities from oh, okay. West L.A. to Silver Lake. And then, but it was for years in Malibu. And, you know, it's just... It's just a way to get together and talk about addiction in ways that I don't think you hear addiction talked about anymore. That and you a, talk to everybody and then and you listen to them and it's it's a it's a great thing. I ask questions of them. Okay. Right? Meaning I like to know where people are from, what their drug history is, what their um, how long how many times they've been in treatment because a lot of times nowadays people can go to treatment like five times and they don't even know what treatment's supposed to be doing. 
The greatest thing about treatment is it's a safe, contained environment away from all the bullshit. Exactly. That's the greatest thing about it. And and people make much to do about trauma therapy and equine therapy and all that. All that's great, but I mean, it's most important for you to get, I just call it an adult timeout. It's like a 20-day or 30-day or 40-day or 60-day, if you're lucky, adult timeout that you can re be reflective and get healthy and eat right and sleep right and get healthy again. That's all it really is. You're not going to solve all your problems in a month or a couple weeks or a couple months. It takes time, but it gives you that foundation to start building a new life on. That's what rehab's supposed to do. Yes. And nowadays it's marketed and told like everything from a cure, it's a, it's a cure. It doesn't cure anything. You know what the rehab that claims they have a cure, you know what it cures you of? $70,000 out of your bank account. Yikes. <laughs> That's the cure. You're talking yeah. to somebody who never went to rehab. <laughs> I, know. I know. You can't get sober without going to rehab, but, but it is a place that, you know, I just, I like rehab. I mean, I don't like the modern psychobabble version of it, but I like it. I like the community of it. I like everybody yeah, has a common, common fun I thing. I love being around it. Yeah, you know, I can't that. wait for the Long Beach to get Yeah, that'll, that'll be good for That's you. That's going to be fun. <laughs> you know, and the other thing that... Uh, that well, I mean, not, you know... But, no, but the other thing that's important, I think, is the humanness of it all you got to just like we're all we're all just trying to do the best we can that gets so lost in all the psychobabble and <clears throat> therapeutic kind of weird world that rehab has become and it gets lost in the 12-step world i'm just an addict i figured out a, a weird way that works for me of not taking drugs and it's and you can kind of take take or leave whatever if it makes sense to you like i talked to you i had a bunch of dental work done i didn't take anything nothing right. and people like even dr drew's like are you, are you kidding me and i was like no I, I'm, I have been avoiding dental work for 20 years because i'm scared of drugs i finally am like fuck it i'm gonna do it i'm not gonna die of pain i i'll just fucking deal with it and it wasn't as bad as i had always thought it was going to be Right? right, you know, I hate to quote old politicians, but FDR is the one who's quoted, "We have nothing to fear but fear itself." Like we are consumed by fear. The addict population is consumed by fear. The rehab population is consumed by fear. The society is consumed by fear. Everybody is consumed by fear. That's what the, 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 that's un-American to be consumed by fear. Yeah. And so like, we're gonna call up Dave, right? Yeah. We're going to give Dave a call from Dopey Dave. See, speaking of fear, a guy that has no fear. No fear. We love Dave. And uh, so let's... Just think about when they first started that podcast and the shit they were saying. Like rad. That, no one had ever done anything like what Dopey... If you haven't heard the Dopey podcast, go listen to some of the I know. To me, ones. that's groundbreaking. I right? mean, to talk about how drug addicts feel about drugs... No one has ever done that. All right, so let's give him a call, and then um, hopefully uh, everything Call him good. up. Let's get right. Dave on the phone. All right. Okay, so we got Dave from Dopey on the line. What are you doing? How's I'm cleaning it? the kitchen, Bob. What's going you, on? I, I was just doing laundry and took a shower for the first time at uh, 6 o'clock at night. There's no, no school. Elvis is home from school. It's a nightmare. Is it? Yeah, he's like, he stayed, I fell asleep like at 9.30 last night. He tells me, I almost stayed up all night. Like <laughs> he stayed up till like 2.30 in the morning. I'm the worst parent in the world. But uh, Dude, no, 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 no. <laughs> I saw a video of Elvis playing the drums. He's amazing. Which tells me that you're a pretty great parent. He looks pretty good at it. You know, he and I just had a heavy conversation this afternoon. He loves this. He, he will never hear this. He loves this girl. You know how your daughter, Mike, loves that guy, the Duncan guy? What's his name? Uh, Declan McKenna. De Declan McKenna. So Mike's older daughter loves this musician. So Elvis loves this new girl, Billy Elsie. Have you heard of her? I've never heard of Billy Elsie, no. Bill, Billy Elsie. So get, so get this. She's playing tomorrow night, and and of course, you know, Elvis, for the first time ever, I saw my son really proud to be a forest. He was like, 
are we going tomorrow? And I was like, well, let me call. Let me see what's going on. And he's like, because I really want to go, Dad. Oh, my God. <laughs> so then I look up the girl online, and she's 16 years old. Chrissy made the mistake of saying, so you have a crush on her. And he lost it. He got so defensive, like, no, I don't. No, I don't. Don't say that. <laughs> You're... <laughs> It was the craziest thing I ever seen. And we were like, why are you getting so emotional about it? It's okay to like a girl and like a band and like her music and her, right? And so I wondered, uh, how old are your kids, Dave? My older is eight years old and my younger is just six months old. So so the eight-year-old, is, is the word crush go around at school yet or no? Or do they... Big time, the word crush goes around school. Crush is a big word that Elvis does not like. Apparently. No, my daughter, my daughter hates it too. <laughs> my daughter, all my daughter's friends are like crushing, crushing, crushing on everybody. And Nora, my daughter, is like, thank God she's in some pre, you know, phase where she's just interested in cartoons and the idea of crushes. She hates it. And if I <laughs> that she had anybody she'd lose her shit you know she would go crazy because and what is that about what what is the psychological thing there like that well i talked to elvis about it he said he said crush means love love means married and i was like no it doesn't crush means what? crush is a fancy word for in or, or a, a, an, an easy word for a fancy word called infatuation elvis and he looked at me and I said, infatuation, you just like somebody, you don't really know them, but you like them. So the, the reason why I talk about this kind of stuff with you guys, because I think far too often guys like us that are working and taking care of business and got families get isolated in worrying that we're only money makers, we're only, all that matters is like business and, and, and making money to pay the bills and all that kind of stuff. And I'm trying to be a part of this movement where no, dads are, are, this, are, are the nurturers also. And, they, the, and I think the three of us and, and Chuck and many dads I know are very present with their children. And what I want to do is encourage more guys to be like that. And if you have to push your wife to the side and say, hey, I want to, I want to parent too. I want to be involved every second and on all decisions. You should do that. And I think a lot of guys don't do that. And they get very depressed and very isolated. I see it in the 12-step world all the time. And I see the difference between really modern 21st century dads and the old f throwbacks dads that just bring home the bacon and and aren't really that involved with their children. And so I, I always try to talk about it because, Dave, a lot has happened in my life in the last nine days. My whole, I know. My whole future, the whole, the, everything was turned on its ear by a fire. And I, it's still, you know, it's still not the most important thing in my life. Elvis learning what the word crush means is more important than the fact that, you know, Aloe's gone through some devastating stuff up in Malibu. But don't feel sorry for us. Feel sorry for the, the uh, one of my good friends lost his home and every, every possession he had. I, I think the rehabs talk out there and all the articles in the New York Times and LA Times about all the rehabs burning down. I mean, those can be rebuilt and, and those weren't people's precious, it wasn't our precious you know, entire lives in those houses. It was just a, play, a place of business. But but hundreds of families lost everything. Everything. Yes. And Dave, that fire just swept through there so quickly. It was unbelievable. I, I don't think we've ever seen a fire that fast. Well, there's never well. One been one that fast or that hot. So here's the thing. So Evan and Jared were out there today. The rims on cars in our driveway melted. How hot does it have to be that the that the rims on cars melt? That's one thing. Why that, why did it get so hot this time? Because it was moving so fast. The the we have we have we evacuated way before everybody else at eight thirty a.m. I just said me and Evan were on the phone watching like six a.m. watching the fire along the one hundred one, 
and it jumped, you know, for the, you, those that know Southern California, jumped right between Canaan, R Street, and Lost Hills uh, Road. Well, I'll explain how it was, why it was so hot, too, was because the winds did. Yeah, like, they you were don't, hot. Like in New York, you don't that. experience these things called the Santa, Santa Ana winds. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> dude. It was like 45 miles an hour blowing from inland towards the ocean. The fire started inland and burned, burned right to the right ocean to the in ocean, one man. day. But but the thing was, at 6 a.m., it was only at the 101 freeway, which is, I looked it up on Google, 12.6 miles from our main house, right? That from fire our, that us. fire from 6 a.m. till about 4 p.m., it burned 12 miles up and down canyons, up and down the Los Angeles ma- uh, mountain, the Santa Monica Mountains, and and it was creating its own kind of um, weather, Cl- climate, weather, climate, yeah, yeah, climate, and and it was fifty to sixty mile an hour gusts with a thirty five mile an hour basic wind. I mean, I don't know if you ever get, you know, during Hurricane Sandy. That's what you, you remember when you were, yeah, that, yeah, that's yeah. what it was like. Only fire was going. <laughs> like think that's of that. Insane. And the winds are really hot and really dry anyways, without fire. Yeah, you know so, what I mean? so my friend survived the 2007 fire by staying on his roof all night at, in Point Doom and watering the ambers down with a friend of his, right? And so he thought, I'll do the same thing this time. And he said he was on his roof, it was about 4 o'clock, and he, just, he was looking towards the fire, towards PCH, and he said this tsunami of fire was coming at him. It was 30 or 40 feet tall. It had a tornado in the middle of it, a spiraling fire tornado. Oh my he God. just jumped off his roof and got on his motorcycle and left. <laughs> oh, he's yeah. smart. What was yeah. he going to do, fight it with a hose? Well, what was that's, he how, fight it with? that's how fires used to be. That's why trying to convince Trump that raking the forest floor is not going to solve this. These fires are so powerful, so fast, driven so crazily, violently, uh, uh, by the winds and the heat and the heat that they create it's not like fires from even malibu had a really bad fire in 2007 it was that was like a brush fire that got put out in five minutes compared to what happened the other day it right. was crazy so we're you know we got everybody out everybody safe everybody was cool you know drug addicts this is what i i never left claremont but but you know a lot of guys were running all around um the I knew drug addicts are going to be at their best right now. Every oh, yeah. client this is, is going to... It's their is, time to shine. Yeah. You're going to take... I think we had 37 people that we had to evacuate. You're going to take 37 drug addicts and they're going to be like 37 officers in the that got out of the Naval Academy and they're all going to be counselors and they're all going to be 100% dedicated to let's get out of here, let's get our stuff, let's do it in an orderly fashion. And and that's exactly what happened. That's what the staff reported to me, that everybody was so cooperative. I went and saw them the next day. They were so cool, so grateful. The clients were amazing. Only one client AMA'd out of 37. It's they crazy. AMA'd, what does that mean? Uh, left against medical advice. Well, now it's against yeah, clinical. Those are my old. Those are my old three favorite letters. <laughs> AMA. That was my. That was How my many favorite. times did, did Dopey Dave? I don't know Dave, a lot of the abbreviations. <laughs> Mike never went to rehab. How many times did Dopey Dave AMA from a rehab? I only I only AMA'd from a rehab once, but I AMA'd from detox more times than I could count. <laughs> <laughs> More time, you know. I only went to rehab three times, well, and I AMA'd one. Here's the deal. I'm gonna I'm gonna show you a little bit. Let me be a counselor for a second. So. So you would have AMA'd from rehab a lot more if you hadn't a re, uh, AMA'd from the detox. Those are oh, equal. definitely. You just ran away, like all drug addicts do. Um, well, once I got my bearings and realized that I still wanted to get high, I would leave. But when there's a fire, nobody left. Like on average, we might have two or three AMAs in a week. In this week, we only had one. Think no, about I have that. a theory. I have a theory about this, Bob. And you tell me what, what my theory goes against your judgment. My theory is drug addicts hate boredom more right. than anything. That's right. And a fire is all sorts of action. They get to experience all sorts of highs and lows and action, and it like activates the same rush 
that uh, that copping does and and co- all that stuff does. Well, it also yeah, brings survival. It also brings community. So everybody, yeah. When you're evacuating from fire, there's no program director and there's no guy in detox. It's just a bunch of people on a mission to get the fuck out of here. <laughs> you know that's I mean? right. <laughs> and that's what I love about addicts. Like when we're when we're together and we all have a common kind of uh, goal, it can be achieved. I mean, when I think about how AA started, it's pretty amazing that an old grumpy guy, right, Dr. Bob, and a a narcissistic Yankee, you know, Wall Street stockbroker can meet, create something that's open-minded, flexible, works for all different types of people and all different types of lifestyles and economic backgrounds that still exists today. And when done like how they intended it to be done has a transformational power in people's lives. How could that happen? It's only because they had a common cause. They wanted to relieve the problem of drink, right? That's, that was the, their only goal. And, and that, that kind of thing is amazing about alcoholics. So anyways, it went great. Alos, you know, we lucked out a lot more than than we thought initially. So the main office buildings are fine. Um, are but what burnt? What burnt down? Just the three rehabs. So so you know, rehabs in California can only be six beds. So there was three of those they burned down, and then we got two new ones in West LA in uh, pretty much within three days. So the clients just are now in West LA, the old Promises building, and we're Evan and Jared. We're back up there today, looking to see what we can do and how we can get back on track. So it's pretty amazing. Our our outpatient building is still standing, and and that was that was crazy because the, I saw on the news the apartment building right behind our office building, which there's just a parking lot, and then our building. The entire apartment building was on fire, and I thought, oh my god, then. Then there goes that office building, and it, it's still standing. I don't know the the fire fire department did an excellent job, and and no, 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 <laughs> like in the cartoon. No, here's here's the thing, and this is another thing about addicts. Me and Evan are addicts. That, that's that the bottom line of it. It's just stone cold addicts. We're on the phone. We see the fire jump to 101. I was like, this is not good because of the way the wind was blowing. I was like, but I didn't expect it to be that day. I thought tomorrow this is going to be a nightmare if they don't get a handle on this. It was within two and a half hours that Evan and Jared just said, we got we to gotta evacuate. Like that was crazy to me because they live, they live, in Thousand Oaks, if you've been paying attention to the news, it's crazy. They live in another fire zone. Everybody thinks it was one fire that was burning all of Southern California. No, there was two specific fires. One was in Thousand Oaks, and one was in in what's what's called Simi Valley, and then that's the one that burned to Malibu, the Wolsey fire. But there was another fire at Evan and Jared's house, and they were evacuated like two days before. It's crazy. Yeah. So, and now comes rain on Wednesday. Is that crazy? We, ha- we haven't had rain in four months, maybe one day in four months. And now it's going to rain like c- crazy Wednesday and Thursday. Yeah, and there's nothing to hold the mud There's back, nothing basically. to hold it down. It's going to come, it's going to oh. go to the ocean. These are like those biblical things of rain and flood and fire and yeah, like, in, like in New York. But, what do you? Yeah, I mean, but, you don't have any of that. They stuff. had Hurricane Sandy, Mike. It wiped out all of New Jersey. They Hurricane Sandy was responsible for my last relapse too. <laughs> oh well, classic. Had, Mike, I don't Just know. A little Mike, hurricane. Mike. Uh, yeah, I think that everybody that listens to the podcast knows that Mike kind of lives in his own world, and he has whatever. to. He's got three daughters and. You know, and and has a full time job. So so listen hey, to the this. real world sucks. The man. real world sucks. <laughs> but listen to this, Mike. I'm going to tell you something that rad that happened in Dave's neck of the woods. These planes flew into these buildings and oh, knocked I, the whole town down. Did you hear about that? Yeah, <laughs> I think I heard it. Dude, about that dude. Last week, last week we had this freak blizzard, and I just bought a house. And like I don't know anything about houses and blizzards and 
you know, early winter, but we have a gazebo and it's like covered with fabric and the snow ripped the gazebo out of the ground. It was ripped insane. the whole thing? The, well, the yeah, wind. The, 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 wind heavy, the wind ripped it out. No, the heaviness of the snow. You'd think, I know this is not the most fascinating conversation, but, but the heaviness of the snow landed on the top of the gazebo and it ripped the whole thing apart and it was metal. And now I've got this metal twisted shit in the yard and I don't know what to do. I don't know. I mean, like, it's too big to move it. Like, I'm going to have to hire somebody. Yeah, and it's because it, I didn't take it. precautions because I don't know about this. Well, where is it? Nyack? Where are you living? I live on Long Island. Do you know where a thing called the Gold Something Film Festival is? It's at the, the gold school. something film festival. Yeah, yeah. It's like a recovery film festival thing. No, I went there, I went no, there one I, time. It was the coolest little thing. It was hard to believe it was Long Island because I have a prejudice against Long Island like I do against Orange County and the Valley and any I suburb. used to have a, a great prejudice. But the, you told us this before that you used to, you grew up living, I mean, you lived in the city for a long time and then... I grew that, up in Manhattan. Yeah, yeah and, and and now you moved out to the suburbs. Yeah, we always say you moved out for the kids and the schools and all that. I think that's all BS. You moved out because you couldn't handle it anymore. Oh, no. Yeah, right. <laughs> you, moved, you know, you moved out. Exactly I moved, you moved out, out of, too. Listen, I moved out of L.A. because I can't handle it anymore. I can't handle the hipsters with the beards and the tight pants on their ankles. I can't handle, you know, Williamsburg. I don't know if you've come out here much today, but Williamsburg, Brooklyn moved to Silver Lake, California. Do you know that? Like it was, was coming. I used to live in Echo Park, and it was coming when I left. The wave was coming. Yeah, and they got they wear like they wear like three hundred dollars shoes and shit. I just couldn't. And the rents all went up. So now you pay like three thousand a month for a one bedroom apartment. It's crazy. And finally, I fought it for like ten years, and then finally, I'm like, why the fuck do I live in L.A.? Fuck this, right? It's become New York, Silver Lake, Echo Park. Do you know that? Where'd you live? What street do you live on in Echo Park? I lived off Lemoyne and Lemoyne, Essie. Right. Yeah. So that whole area, I lived in 1981 or 82. Me and the Hanson brothers, they're these famous brothers. Um, we lived at the top of Echo Park off Valentine. A two-bedroom okay. apartment for $400 a month. I, well, I lived not. in a two-bedroom apartment. It was a grand where I lived there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and now they're, like, now they're like, no, but but you don't understand. Now that same little duplex house is $3,300 a month. Who can afford to live in a working-class area who makes 3300 to pay rent? Like you'd have to, my dad was really, really, really prolific web designers. My dad was a business major at the university of Minnesota. And he used to always say your mortgage, your rent should be a third of your income. Oh yeah. Right. That's the same thing. Yeah. yeah. So, so you would have to be making take home $9,900 a month to live in that apartment in echo park. That's insanity. But the fact is, the people don't make that. They make five thousand a month. They pay thirty three hundred in rent. They live off credit cards, or their parents subsidize it. And I just couldn't live there anymore. And plus, their conversations are so boring. When I go to work, when I go to work, there's a guy. He says, "How are you?" I say, "I say, yeah." I say, "Yeah," and I say, "How are you?" And he says, "I can't complain." And I said, "You can complain to me, Kevin." I say, you can tell me, you know, because it's like people say I can't complain because they don't think you want to hear about it. But I like to hear about it because I feel like it makes them closer to me when they really can complain. I like it. Yeah, the reality of what you're going on. Like, it's a weird thing. Here, here's one uh, can't complain that I hate, right? I didn't vote this time. I have I live part of the t part of the week in Laguna, and there was a guy going against Rohrbacher, and I wanted to vote for him. I met him at the Whole Foods. He was a cool guy. Couldn't get registered there, right? So then I just didn't vote. Whatever, you know, crucify me. One hundred million Americans who are eligible to vote didn't vote, and I feel like I'm I'm standing up for and being honest, like I didn't vote because what will happen, and especially from liberals and Democrats, well then you don't have any right to complain. You know what I always say, Dave? I pay fucking taxes. That's my right to fucking complain. I pay taxes. 
when if if you could if you could say I won't complain if I don't have to pay taxes, I'll sign up for that. How many Americans would do that? Right? I don't get to vote and I don't pay taxes and I don't complain. I'll sign whatever you need me to sign to do that. Even if you don't pay taxes, it's our God-given right as Americans to fucking complain. <laughs> don't you think those fucking crusty anarchists in Tompkins Square Park, they don't pay taxes, and they deserve to complain. That's all right, is it not? <laughs> well, but I always get crucified for not voting because, because you know, you're supposed to vote or you can't complain. Haven't you heard that term? Haven't your friends I said complain, that to you? I complain all day. I haven't voted since Bill Clinton in 1992. <laughs> I swear to God. Mike's getting angry right problem. now. No, I can I'm see not. Mike getting angry right I didn't. Now. I didn't vote for a couple of years. <laughs> all right. Uh, so, but you still get so the right I'm, to complain. I'm in the, I'm in the yeah. You get I, the I'm right the to club. complain. I'm in the club. So... So that, you know, and here's the thing. If, if it was important, if I lived in an important state, right, I, I sure, I'm sure my feelings would be different, but I live in the bluest of blue states. Like, it's crazy. Me too. I have this guy I work with, this Egyptian guy. He's like one of my heroes. His name is Ishmael. He's worked at this restaurant for 30 years, okay? Right. When the election happened, he says, I want Trump. I want to see action. And he... <laughs> He, he says it because the entertainment value is so high. Trump is a wrestler. Trump is Lex Luthor as president. It's exciting he's to Jesse the Body Ventura. Well, what about? It, it, but he's better. He's he's better at commanding an audience than Jesse the Body hey, Ventura. Have, uh, I just realized we're not going to say where you work, but but it's, well, it's my out of the, you can say it. It's, it's my fa- it. it's my famous my favorite restaurant in in, in South New York, right? So. Like and Carnegie's There's gone. A Carnegie's on the wall. Carnegie's gone now, right? Carnegie uh-huh. Deli's gone. Uh huh. So now it's my own. It's my favorite restaurant because I love Carnegie Deli because of Woody Allen, Carnegie Hall, and all that. So yeah. So you work at my favorite restaurant in New York City, nice. and it is a popular, popular political destination. How many presidents have gone in there to shake hands with everybody when you've been working there? Had to be, Hillary had to have gone there to shake hands. No, 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 nobody showed up. They were expecting Obama. Every year they were expecting Obama and they were like bringing in good meat to make him a cheeseburger because he loved cheeseburgers, but he never came. Bill Clinton came. Your favorite Al Gore, Gore, the inventor of the internet, internet. came. (laughs) Fucking uh, Gorbachev came. Gorbachev um, came in. That's so awesome. That is. That's you know. Great. You know. You know who came in recently. Who? I don't know if you know this story. I had my first real encounter with God working for me two weeks ago. Martin Scorsese came in. No, I'm fucking bugging out. I was trying. You know who David Sheff is? The guy who wrote uh, "Beautiful Boy." The yeah, journalist yeah, yeah, writer yeah, yeah. I got in an argument with him one time. But he was supposed to come on Dopey, and he, like, reneged or put it off, and I was uh, feeling very been... insecure, like I was never going to get anyone on again. Was it the so dad or out... the son are you talking about? I was. I want the son, but yeah. I was going to settle on the father because the father was taking pity on me because Chris had died. So I, I was going <laughs> to settle for the father, but then at the last second, he backed out, and I'm feeling very nervous, right? So I go out on the corner of Housen and Ludlow, and I said to myself, well, maybe this show is just going to have to be like my junkie friends and Bob Forrest. <laughs> and, um, and, and, then I, and then I look up and I said, wait a second, is that Mark Maron across the street? Oh, my and God. It, uh, yeah. and, and it was. And I fucking, you know how I am. I ran up to him and I invited him to come to breakfast the next day. He came to breakfast the next day and then he, he came on Dopey the next day. Oh, the day my after God, that. how great is that? Uh, it was an incredible uh, coup. It was amazing. So it was God amazing. finally working for me out? instead of again. How come you huh? don't know how to promote your podcast? No, how come I don't? Know, how come I don't know that Mark Maron's on Dopey? You don't listen to podcasts, Bob. You just make. <laughs> he doesn't listen to his own. Podcast. <laughs> I mean, you don't know. How? So why I, would you know? You have a fire. Here's an interesting thing. Were, the only podcast I've ever really been on that I listened to the whole thing was the Marin when I was on Marin, and the only real podcast I've listened to consistently trying to learn how to do podcasts was Marin. The Marin two-part thing with Louis C.K. is what is the gold standard of what podcasts can be. Have you ever You know what's really good? 
fucking uh, the the dopey, the first dopey that Bob Flores called in on. Yeah. That's pretty classic episode. <laughs> yeah. No, no, the, the Marin, the Marin with Keith Richards, where fucking Mark Marin hadn't smoked a cigarette in ten years, and Keith and he Keith Richards like coerces him to smoke a cigarette at the studio of NPR. Yeah, fucking insane did you hear that one no i haven't heard but here's the one well there's so many great ones but so i asked him before we did it because he did it as a favor to a friend for me to be on there it wasn't like oh there's big demand for bob on there but but i asked him beforehand like how do what is what is your magical thing and he goes well it's interesting they're coming on my terms on my turf to my house I don't have anywhere to go. I'm not going anywhere. The only, I'm just walking from the garage back home. So I can sit out here for three hours, four hours. I'm going to wait until they start talking real and honest and beyond all the bullshit. So that's his secret ingredient is he does it at his house. Well, he did. And he made people that were, once it got popular and like Elvis Costello and Sting and Bono were coming on, he would just sit there and talk with them and they'd talk out all their talking points that they had decided and they'd been telling everybody for, you know, months or weeks the same thing. You know, what happened when I was making this record is blah, blah, blah. It was, you know what I mean? And, and beyond all that. And so he just, and he edits it himself. So he just gets to the meat and potatoes of when they're getting real, either talking about real life or their fears or their families or their marriages or real life stuff, not their just canned pitches. That's why Marin is Marin. And he said he stumbled upon it because he just only he would just sit there with the with whoever he's interviewing and he would just keep asking question after question until it was interesting to him. Right? And he said that he, he said to me, first of all, he was very like kind of weird off the podcast. I, I remember hearing a quote like from about Bruce Springsteen that it's not Bruce Springsteen off the stage, but when Bruce Springsteen goes on the stage, that's Bruce Springsteen. Right. And I think it was kind of like that with Marin. He was very like quiet and almost like, I don't know. He was weird off the podcast. He was like sitting there and looking at me and he was telling me he was, he was scared. Somebody was using his credit card number or this or that. <laughs> and then like we start podcasting and he like just comes alive. He's like winking at me and smiling and enjoying himself. And it was just the coolest thing. And then he said, then he tells me like, he wasn't a heroin guy. He was a Coke guy. Yeah, okay. Uh, yeah. And he's telling me about his, like his Sam Kinison and, and the, you know, the crazy, uh, comedy storehouse and all this stuff. And then he starts remembering that when he lived on the lower East side, he was a heroin guy. And like, he was watch <laughs> junkies cop on Avenue D. And then he told a story about going to the comedy cellar high on heroin and driving David tell uptown, nodding out at, behind the wheel. Wow, <laughs> but he wasn't a heroin guy. Well, but all kinda, I know it was all hysterical. All of a sudden, he remembered. <laughs> I, 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 I know that. I've got some friends that were heroin guys, and they became coke guys, and they kind of forgot they were heroin guys. But you always come back around. You always come back around. It might take you ten years, but well, that's such a coup for you. That's great. What? So that's way better than the beautiful boy guy. Way better. Yeah, it was. It was really real, and and he was amazing. And he was so, like, kind. He was like, I'll give you a half an hour. He wound up giving me an hour and a half. And uh, it was, like, it was it was fucking mind-blowing. Because it's also, like, I didn't expect to be in such awe of this guy. You know what I mean? And it's, like, he just, he, he fucking had Obama on his show. He, he, he had Paul McCartney and Keith Richards. You know, part it's like, of, let's talk about the uh, Obama thing. Part of the Obama thing, I, it's, it's crazy, but but that because Obama lived in his neighborhood for years, so Obama knows Eagle Rock. He knows the street that right. Ben lives on. He went to right. school like four blocks from there. That's you know you know what I'm saying. Is that so why he chose it? Think, Is that why I think he chose it's it? Why it made it more accessible? Like I know that area, and it's kind of like Obama going back to his roots. I'm sure he did something at the college that day. You know what I right. mean? It was just just Marin's. But he's also the best. He really is the best. And the key is to just talk until you get something that's good, 
which is what I try to do. I don't know what Mike does with it all. But we were here two weeks ago for five hours, and Mike was like, I don't know what we got there. I have to take a lot of stuff out. So, Mike, Mike, you distill the podcast. You listen to the whole thing, and you take shit out. Yes. Well, you know, I, I do, yes. Uh, Bob sort of wants me to kind of protect me because i can say here's the thing dave you can say whatever you want because you're not going to lose your job at your your work right i don't want i don't want to say something that might harm our treatment center so that then you know what i mean and i can say some outrageous shit i mean i've been in front of a grand jury for solicitation to kill the president so I, I can tell you that I can say some crazy shit. And see, I've, known, I've known Bob for long enough, and I've been involved in many of his escapades where we've been arrested for rioting and stuff like oh, that. Oh, I forgot about that, yeah. And just things he said, and you know. You uh, want to hear that story, Dave? Yeah, So we're playing a concert in Arizona, and these people are heckling me. Now, this is at the height of Thorny Sponsor. We're really coming up, and we're really good, and we're really just like... There's a magical thing that I talk about in the movie where you just know that you're fucking good, right? Yeah. Nobody has yeah. to tell you. So it was yeah. at that time, there was like a two-year window. And it, and honestly, ladies and gentlemen, a lot of it was due to Mike Mart and what he brought to the We Thelonious had a good Monster. band. We had a really good band. It was an amazing band. band a, you know, a there's a point. chemistry that happens when you're a musician. like That you it, can't explain. That you cannot explain to somebody who's not a musician. It's weird. And then we it goes away. Just and just as, just as quickly as it comes, it's like being stoned on pot. As soon as you realize what the universe is about, it goes away and you can't make it happen again. So anyways, we're right. in that part. And so, but one of the main problems was I was, we'd gotten a lot of heckling and a lot of negative attention for like two or three years prior to that. And so I was always ready to fight the audience or, you know, just, you know, and we just deal with it. Like I was one of those guys, like I'll deal with you right now, motherfucker. You're going to heckle me. So we were getting heckled and this great show in Arizona. And I just was fucking back and forth with these two guys. And then I just jumped out into the, crowd after one of them right you did an axel rose yeah he and he copied me doing that shit Trust he did me. a bob forrest all right keep <laughs> going. So, yeah i'm with you it's more like it i was you know and i didn't i didn't i kind of knew about gg allen but it was mostly darby crash darby like crash bob, was let me tell you something about bob <laughs> bob is like you know skinny now and everything like that but bob used to be kind of a brawler man <laughs> i, I mean brawl. bob could really fucking you know he i could go at it what was the guy that you punched out at the lasher club i broke his jaw oh, who was that richard Meltzer. richard Meltzer, the critic yeah so <laughs> wow so so anyway he was listen. reading poetry and bob didn't like it <laughs> No, it's not true. This is what happened. And it's, <laughs> it's in true. his book. Richard Meltzer is a great writer. He wrote for Korean. I, I love this. Okay. You so, didn't like his poetry, so you no, punched no, him in the no. face somebody and he broke his was jaw? Talking, somebody was talking. Oh, this and is And I right. told okay, them to shut up because I, I, I didn't really understand a lot of what Meltzer was talking about, but I respected him because I was a kid and read Cream Magazine and all that, right? So sure. people are talking and not paying attention at his poetry reading. So I told them to shut up. And he thought that I told him to shut up. So he starts going at me. And I was like, fuck you, dude. What are you talking about? I'm trying to tell these people to shut up. And then he jumped down and came at me. And I just decked him and broke his jaw. Okay, so that's Bob's take on it, right? Like, I was one of those people that was sitting in the audience with Bob. I came with Bob. What happened? And really? I thought you yelled, fucking shut up to him. No, too, I was telling also. people to Well, yeah, after he's cussing at me, telling me to shut up. And then all of a it sudden. It was just a big whirl of shut ups. Yeah, right? and then like fists going everywhere. And I was like, oh my God. It was crazy, but it's in a book. He wrote about it in his book, the one I have it somewhere. It was really, and he, he you know, he was surprised that someone like me could deck him that easily because I guess he was a boxer or something. So anyway, so he I, didn't in the book. He didn't refer to you as brawling Bob Forrest. <laughs> no, he's just like the guy from Thelonious Monster. So I go after these guys in the audience, and then 
just I was good at like getting a couple punches in and then kind of scramming away. That was my style. So I'm scramming uh-huh. away, and Pete and Mike are standing there on the stage, thinking I'm getting beat up by these skinheads or whatever. And one guy got up on the stage, and Pete just our drummer just whacked him, and then the whole place just Bob, went up. it happened all within a really quick amount of time. Like Bob went in the audience, Pete saw it immediately. I ran over with my guitar and jumped in, and Pete ran got his bass uh, to kick drum the kick no not the kick drum the uh tom that floor made, tom, the floor tom <laughs> over his head and just jumped in the crowd and smashed this guy in the head it was a bunch of skinheads but anyways no they so, were like jocks jocks yeah jocks jocks and skinheads they were jocks with short hair actually yeah yeah, yeah. so so anyways, this riot broke out, and then it sprawled out into the streets, and it was crazy, and we just ran back upstairs in the dressing room, and cops came, and there was riot, people, police, and it was crazy for like an hour. We thought if we just went in the dressing room, it would just go yeah, away. Yeah, I thought we were going <laughs> to, I still thought we were going to go back and play. That's what I was waiting, and so it apparently got way out of hand. Apparently, Tucson was a little, it was combustible, but you know what I mean? So I'm sitting there, and there's this woman cop, I'm just drinking beer in the dressing room and I go walking down the hallway to, to, I get up to leave the dressing room to go pee in the bathroom down the hall. And the lady goes, excuse me, where are you going? And I said, I just got to go pee. I think, and I looked around and I said, I think we're safe now. Cause I thought the police were there protecting us <laughs> from, from the, re- from the skinhead jobs. And actually they were looking they were for waiting us. <laughs> to arrest us. <laughs> oh my, for inciting the riot. Yes. Yes, oh yes, God. yes. And it gets better, Dave. So then I'm the only one arrested. I don't know why. Pete was the one that did the real violence. I get arrested. I'm seeing that we're like in Tucson near the college, and I see it. We're driving to darkness, right? We're driving in. I'm in the backseat of a cop, car with two cops, and I'm arrested with handcuffs, and we're driving out of town. I can oh, see no. it. Because lights, are, the lights are not ahead of us; they're behind us. And I go, right. whoa, 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 whoa! Where are we going? Where are we going? Come on, you guys! Come on, you guys! And they took me out of the car in an industrial park, and they started hitting me and kicking me and calling me all kinds of names. And and I was just like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You know, I know, I know how to cower like a like a dog <laughs> to save your life. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and then they put me back in the car, and then they drove me and booked me. And because it turns out some of their officers were hurt. So they blamed mm-hmm. me for it. So it was crazy, crazy, crazy thing. So I had that case going on forever. And then the band was supposed to play my legal bills and then nobody wanted to. And because we didn't get paid that night. And, uh, and you caused the riot. <laughs> yeah. I think I got arrested on a warrant too. Like you remember there before computers, it was so much better to be in trouble like that because all, oh, yeah. all you really had to do is not go to Arizona. Right, right. If you commit like a crime in Wisconsin, they know about in California like in 17 seconds. So I just didn't go back to Arizona for a while. And then years later, I thought it got resolved. I paid some money to a lawyer. I appeared there one time. I thought it got resolved. Then I was driving to my mom's in Oklahoma. I got pulled over and they took me into custody for the warrant on that thing. It was crazy, right? So that the reason why I like talking about this stuff is the kids nowadays, they don't get in enough trouble. I mean, I think... Dave, I got, I got do, you have, do you have a criminal record? Do you, of you course arrested? he does. Yeah, I do. Of course. I do. He doesn't want I don't his have any, employer nothing, to know that, but... No, no, nothing, nothing major. And in New York, if you get busted with heroin, you get disorderly conduct. You know, I mean, I've gotten busted uh, with heroin, I think, three times in Manhattan, and I got disorderly conduct three times for it. Really? Um, I got uh, the worst thing. I only got busted with possession. The, the funniest thing is the, the only time that, uh, that the thing that's on my record was in college. There was, like, a guy who, like, got busted with a pound of weed, and he had another pound of weed. So he gave us the second pound of weed, and we went to get the bud, and we divided up the bud to you know amongst a certain amount of us and i remember i was bringing an ounce to one of the guys and um cops pulled us over we actually had we had pot plants in the trunk i was wearing an army jacket with the four pockets on the jacket i had a bong in one of the pockets i had an ounce in the other pocket and he's like where are you going and i was like 
I'm going to watch the Nick game. I had like written a paper four times, the same paper as like when it was before computers were good and the computer like lost my paper. I had to write it like three times in the same day because the memory didn't save it. And they busted us. And and that's what's on my record. No heroin, huh. uh, no pill bus, no you know, nothing. It, they look so at my record. Did you notice now Mike is asking like he doesn't have a criminal record. No. Mike might have been so unconscious he doesn't realize how much no, criminal record he has. I was getting to this. I wanted to, I was curious about the jail. Like, do they have a holding station in they New got York Rikers? City? Rikers. No, yeah. there's a place called the Tombs. Well, they oh, have Rikers, yeah. but I always went to the Tombs, which yeah, right. is a, like a we have big, a big holding station uh, downtown by Center Street. And uh, and I, I got busted a bunch of times and, and went there for the for night. Like, like 48 hours, 78 hours or something like that? I never stayed longer than 24, thank but God. Me, and every time. This. So the I, reason why I bring it up, don't all the kids I'm dealing with have never been arrested. Don't you think you have to be arrested in order to get sober? Don't you think you have to be at least once arrested? I, I don't think it. I don't think it. Uh, I think it could help. You know, I think you can learn something. Well, well, I don't. Uh, think my point is this: we're decriminalizing possession. At the very least, just because you're walking around with heroin and needles in your pocket, you should spend the night overnight in jail, like I have well, fucking twenty times. But see, there's a little problem, a little difference of a like a time period. In our day, they used to just beat you up, like you said. They would beat me up. And then they would take me and throw but me in jail. Served, they, they had, you served real now jail they just time. pull out their guns and they shoot you dead. Well, the, the, certain certain. So people kids are it. not like just you know resisting arrest like we did freely back when. In I the wasn't day. resisting arrest. I, I resisted arrest but, lots of times. Well, let me let me say you were one of the first people I know that served real jail time. You got sentenced to jail. You had to turn yourself in, and you were in jail for a long yeah, time. Yeah. How wait, 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 how much time were you Mike, in jail for? See how Mike said it to you like you never been arrested, have you, Dave? Like he'd never been arrested. <laughs> he was holding it back, Bob. He was ready to come with the story. What's the story, Mike? Come no, on. I, I, I spent. I, there's a there's a place called Twin Towers. I had to go for like three months. And it, and yeah. Was it gun charge or what? And then in Orange it? County, I had to do a couple of months too down in Orange what County. What was it? Guns or what? No, it was uh, it was possession and um, under the, in, under the influence. Else. And then I let those go to warrants. And then I didn't show up for that. And you know, I didn't show up for a bunch of stuff. Yeah. And it snowballed. Yeah. I mean, look at Chris. Chris spent uh, two years, a year, a year and change in jail. And wow. Chris came from the best upbringing, yeah. the most money, and like, and I know, like, when Chris got to tell the stories on Dopey, it was like he was like coming in his pants. It was like so exciting <laughs> for him to to recount the, the stories in his mind. Really defined him. It was like his, you know, like a, it was glorious that somebody from so much money and so many private schools could find their way through the California penal system. Well, you know? I always tell the story. I met a guy. Oh, his phone went dead. Did we phone. lose you, Dave? Yeah, call him back. Push the green. Okay, so we just lost Dave. So what I'm going to do, I just, Mike's always telling me how, what the time is. That was like a whole podcast. Yeah. <laughs> We've been talking for an hour. So we're going to end this podcast right now, but in real life, we're going to call Dave back and finish our fucking conversation, and that'll be part two. That'll be so, part two of so the see, Dopey Dave. See you next time, and then now uh, we're going to call him right back. Okay. <laughs> <laughs>